Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. Did you know there are lots of women out there that struggle with pornography addiction and sexually compulsive behaviors? So many times it's common to talk about these issues from only the perspective of men who struggle. Our language, our pronouns, our examples oftentimes leave out women, which actually can contribute to more feelings of shame and isolation to the women and girls who struggle with pornography issues and sexually compulsive behaviors. And my guest on today's episode is Alice Taylor, and she's the author of a new book called Restored, which is not only about her story of struggling with pornography addiction, but also a guide to help women who feel trapped and feel isolated in the grasp of a pornography and sexual addiction. Alice is from Sydney, Australia, and has a really incredible story of overcoming lots of personal tragedy, bullying, and abuse, and found herself addicted to pornography at a very young age and struggled to reclaim herself and to feel redeemed and to feel healthy again. She's a Christian and a believer and someone who seeks out grace and healing and wants to extend this to as many women out there as possible. She wants other women to know that they're not alone and then they're not the only ones out there who struggle like she believed for so many years. I'm really excited for all of you to meet Alice. And in this two-part interview, I'm going to spend this interview, this particular episode, on just her story so you can get to know her and understand what she's been through and how she found herself wanting to write a book about this and spread the word about offering support and healing to women all over the world who might be struggling with feelings of worthlessness and powerlessness and wanting to send them a message of hope and light that there is a way out of this and that they're not alone. So let me introduce you to Alice Taylor. Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast, Alice. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having you. You're the first woman I've had on the podcast where we've talked specifically about her story and her struggle with pornography addiction. And, you know, to your point in writing this book, this is something we need to talk about more. So I'm 40-something episodes into my podcast, and I'm just now getting around to talking with someone about this. And first of all, I'm grateful that you're willing to go public with your story so you can help support other women and educate everyone about the unique challenges, but also just that we can start to add these voices to you know to my podcast, this series, and, and balance things out a little bit. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. Like Getting women's stories out there is the most important thing because- Almost every woman I've talked to has said, I thought I was the only one. And I believed that too. I truly believed I was the only woman struggling with porn. So it's so important to share these stories. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd like to introduce our listeners to you through your story, if that's okay. We can just talk yeah. about your story and then, of course, lead into why you decided to put all this in writing and write a book, which is such a major accomplishment and takes so much courage. So. Yeah. So why don't you go ahead and just start and let's introduce yourself to us. And then I'll, uh, of course, we'll just talk, have a conversation. Yeah, sure. So, so I'm now 27. I'm married to Lucas. I live in Sydney, Australia, and I've done a lot of recovery work. But 
I had a, a long and painful journey to get here. My story started when I was just 12 years old. So I came from a family that didn't do sex ed at all. The answer to everything was in the Bible, and that did not satisfy my curiosity about sex at all. My parents were quite black and white in that way, and their beliefs, the answer to everything was because the Bible says, because the Bible says so, because God says so. And I felt like I wasn't allowed to push back or ask questions about the real world. So one day when I discovered softcore pornography on my granddad's computer in his office alone, it started to fill in the blanks for me. <laughs> These were the the answers I was seeking, well, I thought they were. And I was just fascinated. You know, I was seeing nudity. I was seeing these sex acts that I'd never heard of before. And I got hooked. I didn't have words for what I was seeing, but I knew that it was, it was really exciting. And it was fulfilling these curiosities that I had as a 12-year-old going into puberty, who was quite naive and quite sheltered because of my upbringing. Right. And like you needed answers to these questions. And they were very normal, healthy, developmentally appropriate questions. But at the yeah. same time, obviously you were getting them, you weren't getting them from your parents because they had a very narrow, rigid view of, of bodies and sex and just, you know, those kinds of things. But pornography, of course, was the other extreme where it was anything goes and mm. probably very overwhelming. But there was also something really sort of validating and truthful about it in the sense that you were seeing, you know, bodies and these experiences that we're kind of doing something for you as well. So it was really powerful and confusing and exciting all at the same time for you. Yeah, definitely. Like I was so excited about it, but you know, no one would have guessed because I was the quiet, well-behaved Christian kid with like the bowl cut and the buttons up to the neck, you know, they <laughs> wouldn't have expected it. I loved it. <laughs> it was exciting. And, but it did come with its own kind of shame. You know, even though porn and sex had really never been talked about in my life, I knew this was something I had to keep secret. I knew it was something to be ashamed about, even though I kept going back and back and back because it was exciting for me. So I had all of these mixed emotions, very intense, you know, powerful feelings. You had shame and arousal. And at 12 years old, they were all becoming one yeah. to me. And Yeah. Did your parents talk to you ever about pornography or the dangers of pornography? No, not at all. Like The only time we talked about porn was when I was you know, in the last few years since writing my book, because I had to explain to them what I was doing. <laughs> okay. Um, and that, you know, so the only time we talked about Paul was when I brought it up and was like, yeah, I used to watch a lot of that and it was a real problem for me. Mm. And they were like, oh. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, it was the 90s. We had dial-up internet. It was on that CD that you put in the computer. It made all those weird buzzing noises. Yeah, remember those days. Any, I don't think they had any idea yeah. how much porn was on the internet. And that, you know, their innocent 12-year-old daughter would be accessing it. You know, they had no idea themselves. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, but I think that was a really powerful beginning to my later struggles with porn. So my tween years, porn, porn was life. Mom and dad were going out after school. I'd be running to the computer. You know, I'd be chatting with strangers online about what I was watching. I didn't have words for it, but in hindsight, I was having cyber sex with strangers Right. at 12. You know, I was masturbating, I was looking at pictures, starting to look at videos, and that is my foundation for a future of porn addiction. But when I hit about 14, for those major high school years, I actually stopped looking at porn and had like a, a hiatus because I was focused on had a different focus. It was real boys exploring real sexuality. But even though I wasn't looking at porn for those few years, 
I still count that period of my life as one of the most significant stepping stones into addiction once I left school because it, the experiences I had in high school set me up to be vulnerable to addiction. They set me up to be quite a dysfunctional person because um, I was bullied extremely badly <laughs> all through high school. I went to a very rough school and I often feared for my safety. You know, I had people that had me in a headlock and spitting on my face and oh you know, my. calling me degrading. It was, yeah, it was really traumatic. Like, and that like was physically, like of- physically being assaulted, not just, yeah. not just some of the emotional games that kids play, but you're saying like physically dangerous. Yeah. Wow. Definitely. Yeah. Like, I felt, you know, I was in serious danger for, you know, years at a time. Like I didn't get a break from it. It was in school, outside of school. Mm. You know, myself and my small group of friends, you know, we were misfits and weirdos. We dressed pretty weird. I'm glad they weren't camera phones back then. <laughs> you know, we had the, the black lipstick and the yeah. studded collars, the whole thing. Yeah. You know, so we singled out as the weirdos because we, we kind of were, but we shouldn't have got picked on. And the guy that I was dating at that time, he, one day after school, he was assaulted terribly. I was the only witness. These two big guys were there and they just punched him and just wouldn't stop. And there was blood everywhere. And it was truly traumatic. And that event really is quite a, a turning point in my life, you know, a bad one. <laughs> and I just had the worst anxiety. I couldn't leave the house. I was terrified all the time. I was skipping school for weeks on end. I was starting to shoplift, self-harm. And just I felt a lot of guilt about that event because I couldn't protect him sure. because I didn't do anything. And later on, about five years later, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. But I lived many years with undiagnosed PTSD. And so I was just trying to cope the best I knew how, you know, as a kid. And it was not healthy. And it just led me into a total mess, dark place, no sense of worth. I was vulnerable. And I was just desperate for some kind of like safe place, some kind of intimacy and affection, someone who would protect me. And that is really what led to the next stage of my story where porn became a really serious problem. <laughs> oh yeah. That's like the perfect storm, isn't it, Alice? Like it's, Oh yeah. I mean, you're already isolated. You're already, you know, feeling physically, emotionally beat down. And mm-hmm. this is I, my experience. This is sort of where porn sort of welcomes you with open arms, right? Yes, definitely. It was just the perfect, yeah, perfect storm. So when I was 18, I had just left high school. I had experienced some healing, like my parents had got me into some counseling because they were like, whoa, something is wrong with you. Oh yeah, <laughs> well, good for them, yeah. Yeah, which was, I'm very thankful for that. They, you know, at my last year of school, they did change me to a different school to get me away from that environment. So I had some healing, but then it all kind of just crashed and burned again because I met a guy and I was desperate for that affection, validation, intimacy, safety. Mm-hmm. And so he showed me the tiniest bit of interest and I was like, I'm yours. I just, I had no idea. You know, I didn't see a lot of red flags because I was just desperate for, I was desperate for love um, because I felt void of it. So we dated and two months into our relationship, despite knowing that I wanted to wait until marriage, he pressured me into having sex. And in hindsight, it was porn sex. I know he used porn and he was, he was never ashamed about it. He was like, oh yeah, that's where I keep it on my computer. But because it was, you know, porn inspired, it was really degrading for me. It was humiliating. And it just wasn't good. It was so bad. And I was like, oh, sex, wow. And he just, for months on end, humiliated me, told me my body wasn't good enough, told me I wasn't very good at this sex, and would just kind of throw me to the side when he was done with me. So this just compounded my feelings of worth, 
but I didn't leave because I was, he made me feel dependent on him for value and worth, which is an incredibly dangerous thing. And so I was like locked in that abusive relationship until a friend stepped in and just noticed like something is very wrong, Alice. Like you are changing, you are not mentally or physically well. And I think this guy is hurting you. I was like, oh, yeah, actually, I think he is. And he said, you need to break up with him. This is not safe for you. And that, I didn't actually realize I could break up with this guy. Right. I was like, oh, right. I thought I had to stay with him because a man is where I get my, you know, approval and my value. And, you know, even though the sex was terrible, it was like I needed that to feel some kind of love, even though it made me feel worse. It's crazy. Yeah, right. So, yeah, this is friend encouraged me to break up with him. And that was the best decision ever. Mm-hmm. But once I was single, I had so many questions about sex. Like, why was it so bad? You know, what did I do wrong? How could I change myself? So next time, you know, a guy wouldn't tell me how terrible I was. And this is when I went back to porn. I went to it as an education to start with. I was like, okay, what is sex supposed to look like? You know, what should a woman look like? How should I change? You know, it was all about like, you know, what is this? What what do men want? I went to porn. But it was not the porn of my younger years. It had been many years and I had a phone, laptop, high-speed internet. And porn was like so much more accessible and so much more hardcore mm-hmm. than when I experienced yeah. when I was 12. Yeah, it right. was full on. But again, it was all of those intense feelings. You know, there was shame and confusion. There was arousal and my desperation too, just to learn what should I do? Because I thought porn had the answers. Right. It and- seemed to have the answers when I was 12. Right. And so much insecurity now because there'd been so much abuse and trauma that now you're questioning whether or not you have what it takes. And so you're trying to figure out your own gauge for your worthiness and value and through sex. And yeah, I mean, it's just, there's so many drivers that, you know, would would throw you back into that world looking for answers with really no other options, at least as far as you understood at that time. Yeah. So, you know, it was my education at first, but then I discovered, wow, this is a great escape Mm -hmm. because I felt like crap all the time. You know, I, I hated myself. I just had shame mounting on shame, mounting on shame from over these years. And after a while, I was like, I don't really care about learning. But, you know, the way it made me feel, I didn't feel sad for a couple of minutes. You know, it was, I'd lock the doors and close the blinds and be in a new world. It was a fantasy. And I could, you know, I lived on my own at this point, could do whatever I wanted. But then after a while, I was doing it. I was watching one very frequently. And when I started to think, well, maybe I should stop this. This is a bit full on. I found that I couldn't. You know, I'd delete, you know, all the porn sites and everything I had saved and I'd put the laptop away at nighttime. But then I would say, no, I'm not going to watch porn tonight. But I would still find myself at 2 a.m. getting the laptop out, typing in those web addresses. And then I would just hate myself even more. And so this cycle just kept on going. And I finally realized, wow, I can't stop this. That's not good. And I didn't know what to do. You know, I didn't. Porn in my circle of life just hadn't been addressed for men or for women. And when I started searching for help online, everything was for men. You know, all the pronouns were masculine. All the books I found were for guys. And if women were mentioned, it was for the wives of male porn addicts. And at that point, I thought, oh, like I'm different. I think there is something fundamentally wrong with me. And I'm the only woman who is struggling with porn. And I just got stuck there. There was nowhere to go except this pit of shame. Yeah, more shame, right? Yeah. I just kept it my secret for years because I thought if I told someone I'm a woman struggling with porn, I'm going to get 
rejected, shamed. I don't know what will happen. I'm not risking that. So I just kept looking at porn, heading myself for it, you know, and occasionally Googling, you know, women in porn to see if some new resource had come up and it didn't and just getting deeper and deeper into my addiction. Yeah, I can see how the lack of representation can drive you into feeling like there's no hope. That there's nobody who understands it. And though, even though, you know, we might say, well, you know, just flip the pronouns around or just, you know, application. There's something about a woman's voice or about a woman's experience that mm-hmm. was missing for you that you really needed at that time, someone to kind of guide you out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just to know I wasn't alone. For sure. Yeah. How did you find your way out, Alice? So after a few years of self-hatred and struggling with porn, I was at a church service one evening and the pastor was preaching on you know, he wasn't talking about porn, but he mentioned, you know, recurring shame about how sometimes we feel like we can't shake that shame. And I, I like started listening. I was like, oh, this seems relevant to me. And just at one point, I just had this feeling. I was just like overwhelmed with emotion. I was like, oh, wow, like I have such a huge problem and I need to do something. I need to tell someone. Like it was just the point of it was way too much pain. Could not keep it a secret anymore. And his words about shame just kind of broke me. It was just like, it just threw me over the edge. And I just sat down in that big hall and just bawled my eyes out. Mm. I just released all of those years of shame and all of the stress and frustration of feeling stuck for so many years and feeling alone. And this woman who I'd never met before, so it was a, a church hall, about 500 people. She came up to me because I was crying. Uh, she came and gave me a hug and you know, started asking me what's going on. And for the first time in my life, I shared my struggle. I was just like ugly crying everywhere and just like word vomiting. I was like, oh, and she said the craziest thing. She said, me too. She was, you know, in her fifties, I think. And she was like, you know, for a long time, I struggled with porn and, you know, having sex with strangers and all of that stuff. And I'm free. And it was the most shocking thing I'd ever heard. <laughs> like what? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Wow. It just changed my life. It was insane. That's amazing. Uh, and Yeah. And so she kind of took me under her wing and mentored me. We went through some recovery books and she encouraged me that I needed to start getting vulnerable in my friendships. She was like, I want you to, you know, tell your best friend, you know, get some like, you know, everyday accountability with someone who you really know and really love. And so I mustered the courage to tell my best friend. It took me hours just sitting there anxious, but I eventually got it out. And again, I was very, very shocked when she said, me too. I've been struggling with porn for like five years. I thought I was the only woman. I was like, are you serious? (laughs) We've been best friends for five years, you know, really, really close. Both struggling with the same thing, but shamed into silence, thinking we were the only ones. It's crazy. Yeah, that's remarkable. And I'm, and I'm, yeah, and I'm guessing that as you've, you know, continued in your recovery and continued to open up and tell your story and not only building your own network, but now going public with your, you know, your name and your book and everything, I'm guessing more women are coming out of the woodwork. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. So many, just in my own friendship circle, like people I've known for years and years, finally feeling brave enough to confess their struggles with, with porn or masturbation or, I mean, just anything. They're like, oh, like it's a safe place. I struggle too with anything. It's been amazing. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable to me because, you know, I mean, I, in my practice as a marriage and family therapist, you know, I would definitely say that the, the people that come in for help it's definitely, I would say like 20, 30 to one women to men, right? Like I, or men to women. I, I don't, women generally don't present with this because of that shame, I assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And right. And so 
and so I, but you know, as I think about it, as I'm talking to you about this, I'm like, well, well, right. We all have the same bodies. And, but I think a lot of people expect men to struggle with sexuality because there's more testosterone or men are, you know, these kinds of things. But the truth is that women are sexual beings as well. And yeah. women can have the same intense feelings of isolation, shame, trauma, mm-hmm. and everything else and need that kind of comfort and security that porn promises in lots of different ways. And so to, like you said, just to, just to assume that you're the only one that's so harmful for women and deepens the problem. But the truth is, is that everyone's vulnerable. Everyone's susceptible to it. Yeah, definitely. There are so many women who struggle. Mm-hmm. We just don't know it. Right. <laughs> we're all ashamed. Right. Yeah. And there's more, it seems like what you're saying, there's more shame for women. I mean, it's shameful for men, right? I mean, I work with this all the time. It's really scary for men to admit it, even though everybody assumes they're already doing it. But, yeah. Right. But, and so a lot of times when men come out of hiding with it, a lot of people are like, well, yeah, like I, I assume that or okay, like you and everybody else. I mean, there's a lot of sort of normalization that happens so automatically for men if they're willing to just admit it. Mm-hmm. But for women, you're saying it's even more scary. Yeah. Cause it's just, you know, we have like cultural stigma that women aren't sexual and that's kind of within religious traditions and into the secular world, you know, men are the ones who want sex. Women are the ones who always have the headache and they don't want to do it. You know, and there's this stereotype that women don't like sex, but the reality is like we all have sex drives and we're all sexual beings. I mean, you know, it takes two people to have sex. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. You know, so yeah, women are, you know, just as susceptible to getting hooked as guys are. Right. Right. Well, and I, as I'm listening to you tell your story here and, you know, thinking that, that, that sort of visual of you kind of collapsed in that church, feeling so alone and just, like you said, just sort of releasing all this emotion and then having a really tuned in woman come over and have the courage to scoop you up and validate you. I think about your, your voice going out to thousands of people through this podcast, through your book and offering that to so many women who are probably believing exactly what you were believing in that moment. And mm-hmm. it just it just warms my heart. It really does. Just that you know that you're willing to offer and extend that to so many women using technology, using, you know, media to expand your reach beyond the one to one. And I think your message matters. And I'm really grateful that you're sharing it. Thank you. Yeah. I mean I really hope that just knowing that there is there's one other woman who's acknowledging it, you know, and say like you can actually get free. Like I hope that changes um, some women's lives because they they absolutely can get free from this and they're absolutely not alone. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I I know that telling the story and opening up and coming out of hiding is always the first step. And hopefully, you know, with you sharing your story, validating this and, and acknowledging that, you know, I am one woman and I've met lots of other women that struggle with this. We don't have to pretend this isn't happening. It can open up some healing for the women that are listening to this and anyone who's listening who might be supporting someone who struggles, whether they know it or not. And so thank you so much. In in our next interview, we'll come back later in the next episode and and we'll talk about specifically some of the unique treatment needs and just some of the the things that you've learned and experienced as a woman in recovery. And uh, we'll jump into that and get more specific about that. But again, thank you so much for sharing this story and being so brave and courageous and uh, extending this validation and support to who knows how many women out there. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you can learn more about Alice and her work at 
her website, thegracespot.com. And you can also purchase her book on Amazon. It's called Restored. And she's also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find her by searching The Grace Spot Ministries. And I will make sure to put links to all of these resources in the show notes. I want to thank Alice for being so brave and telling her story and opening up a dialogue about this and offering hope to so many women and girls out there. And in the next episode of the Illuminate podcast, I'm going to continue my interview with her and we're going to get really specific about the unique needs that women have in overcoming pornography addiction, ways that we can be more supportive and inclusive of helping women find light and hope and healing with these issues. And as always, I want to thank all of you, my listeners, for your generous support and for your kind words and suggestions for these podcast episodes. You can find me on Facebook on the Illuminate Podcast. Send me a message in Messenger. Find me. You can email me as well at jeff at trustbuildingacademy.com. That's G-E-O-F-F at trustbuildingacademy.com. And as always, I'd love for you to give any ratings and support on iTunes so that other people can find and access this life-changing information. Spread the word, let other people know about the Illuminate podcast, and make sure to offer as much hope and support to people as you get educated and are able to do more good in the world. Thank you all once again, and I look forward to visiting with you next time on the Illuminate podcast.